You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. And open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8, we're going through the Bible verse by verse. We've been looking at the flood for the last couple of two weeks, and I am happy to announce the ark rests today. Uh, Today we're going to see the ark rest, and the title of the message is Finding Rest for the Soul, or Rest for the Soul. Uh, The world is a tumultuous place, is it not? Is it not getting even more and more crazy each and every passing day? And it seems like wherever you go, people are stressed. Uh, Just this morning, I heard about a fight that happened in a library. I'm like, how does that happen, right? I mean, how do you get in a fight at a library? And if there was ever a generation that needs rest, it is ours. We are an uptight, polarized argumentative, on and on I can go, generation. And we need rest. And uh, we are probably the most offended, the most polarized people group in history. It's incredible. And we look back and we see that all the things that we have desired, all the things that we have strived for, have not brought us the rest that we thought they would. We thought the Industrial Revolution would bring us rest. I mean, surely if we can make machines do the work that we have to do so that we don't have to dig, we don't have to plow, we can have machines do the work, surely that will bring rest. But it didn't. What it did bring is obesity. (laughs) But it didn't bring rest. One-third of the United States battling obesity, uh, health problems, but no rest. Why is that? Then we thought the computer age would bring rest, right? Uh, Surely that will help us out. Computers are so powerful. They can do all that stuff. Uh, But it didn't bring rest. As a matter of fact, it only increased anxiety and depression, even in young people. This screen generation that we have become, it hasn't brought us peace. It's only brought us anxiety and depression. Millions battling depression today. So what does bring peace? We see that we're living in a world that desperately needs peace. Yesterday in Buffalo, New York, we all saw what happened. 13 people shot. 10 murdered, uh, 10 killed, Uh, tragic. One of them, a police officer, laying down his life to try to save, and and, uh, what a heroic act. 10 people in Buffalo, New York, dead because of a shooter at a grocery store. In Milwaukee yesterday, 17 people shot. All yesterday, the world is in turmoil. And we are desperately needing rest. And today we're going to be looking at what brings rest for our soul. 
And may I remind us that 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked the earth and he looked at the multitudes in all of their pain, in all of their anguish, in all of their busyness, and he was not moved with anger. He looked at the multitudes and all of their sin, and he was moved with compassion. And he looked at them, and he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus wants us to come to him that we might find rest. And today we're going to look at how to do that. Noah is going to demonstrate some things uh, very well for us that will show us how to have rest in a turbulent storm and how to be at peace. And Noah, his very name means rest. And so may the Lord bless us as we open his word and uh, find your way to Genesis chapter eight. Uh, if you're there, give me a big amen. Amen. I am so thankful that you are a Bible reading church, right? Uh, that you come with your Bibles open. I tell you, it's such a joy from this side. I wish I could, wish you could see what I see. I see pens in hand. I see paper out. And uh, it is awesome to see. Uh, well done. Um, let's read. Uh, uh, we're in the middle of the, uh, of the flood, right? I mean, we're, we're, uh, Noah is now five months on this boat. Five months. And uh, chapter 8 uh, brings a shift in the flood. God's judgment has come upon the earth, and now God is going to bring redemption out of that judgment. Uh, look at chapter 8. God remembered Noah and every living creature and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain of heaven was restrained. Uh, it had rained for 40 days. God stopped the rain, but the fountains of the deep prevailed for five months. The majority of the water on the earth did not come from the rain. It came from the plate tectonics moving and breaking up and the Pangea that was happening and uh, uh, the seabeds opening up and the, the, the ark just raising higher and higher and higher for 150 days. But after 150 days, we read here, uh, Noah remembers, excuse me, God remembers Noah and uh, uh, look what he says. He says he restrains the waters, the end of verse 2. And the waters recited continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Uh, it, it would probably be better translated, after the end of the 150 days, the waters began to decrease. So they were, they were at their highest point at 150 days. And after 150 days, the waters began to decrease, decrease. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. Uh, the mountains of Ararat, we looked at last week, they're 17,000 feet high today. How high they were at that time, I don't know, but 17,000 feet high today. And the ark there floating along as the, the turbulent storms and the water gets higher and higher. And here on this day, God gives the ark rest. Interesting word to use. Rest. And the ark comes. <laughs> And I can imagine them inside, right? And they feel this bump, 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 bump as they hit 
ground. And what do you think they did inside the ark? Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, five months. Super thankful. Oh my gosh. Uh, we're, we've hit ground. And the first point that I want to bring us to in this is that God always remembers his promises. God always remembers his promises. Uh, look at verse, verse 1, an interesting choice of words. It says, God remembered Noah. Well, it wasn't like God forgot Noah. Uh, uh, God never forgets. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And I want to assure you, God, uh, Noah has been on God's mind every single moment. God did not forget Noah. What does it mean then? God remembered Noah. I want you to know this is covenant language. God remembered his covenant with Noah. And the Bible uses that kind of language in regards to covenants regularly. Uh, when the children of Israel were in slavery in Egypt... The Bible says that God remembered his covenant. As a matter of fact, here it is for you in Exodus. Take a look at this verse, Exodus 6, 5. Um, this is God speaking. Let me hear you read this. I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Uh, God never forgot it, but this is covenant language. He's saying, I keep my promises. I remember the covenant that I made with Abraham centuries ago, and I want you to know I have never forgot my promise. And I'm going to deliver the children of Israel. God remembers his promises, and this is covenant language. This is the way he works. And I want you to know, uh, God remembers his promises for you and for I as well. I am so thankful that when I fall into sin, and when I stumble, and when I blow it, Jesus remembers the covenant that he made with me. Do you remember it? It was at the Last Supper. He took the disciples into an upper room and he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a cup of a new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of your sin. And when you and I sin, I am so thankful to remember, to, to know that God remembers what? This covenant. Aren't you glad? If you are in Christ this morning, your sin is atoned because of Jesus Christ. And when we sin, he remembers his covenant with us. He made that covenant at the Last Supper, and he solemnized it by, by communion. And we're going to partake of communion today at the end of the service. May we prepare our hearts as we do. Now, God never forgets his covenants. God never forgets his promises. But... Someone does. Who's that? We do. And therefore, it is super important for us. God asks us, just as he remembers his covenant with us, God asks us to do the same. Remember my covenant. Remember my promises. Uh, this is uh, so important that we do. God's promises are amazing. His commandments 
are life-giving. Uh, it is so freeing when we finally realize, wow, these aren't just rules that I have to do. No, 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 no. Au contraire, nothing could be further from the truth. These are instructions for how to have an amazing life. And God has given us all kinds of promises, all kinds of covenants, all kinds of instructions on how to live a godly life, how to have an abundant life, and we have to remember them. And it's so important that we take them to heart because we're prone to forget. I love meditating on the promises of God, don't you? I will never leave you nor forsake you. I love that promise. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, look, you can't find rest in the world, but if you come to me, I will give you rest. I am thankful that uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for these good works, which he ordained before time that we should walk in them. And that my salvation is going to be complete. It's going to be finished because he is the author. He is the inventor of it. And he is also the what? The finisher of that work. I am so thankful it's not dependent upon me. God's promises are so good, but we have to hold on to them. I am so thankful this week uh, at this promise. Uh, on the foundation of Jesus Christ, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This week, I did a study on pedophilia in America and I was grieved to my core. I went to bed and I could not even sleep. I was in such turmoil. And the purpose of our talk today isn't to talk about these things, but I was like, what the heck, Lord? What the heck? What is happening in our society? And I want you to know what is going on in our schools and this this. This bent, this agenda is indeed an agenda to groom. And man, we, we need to be aware. And all, all we'll be talking about this more in months to come. But I was so thankful as I considered all of this, I remembered this promise and I said, Lord, I'm holding on to your promise that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And upon this foundation, you are going to build your church and that the gates of hell would not be able to prevail or overcome against your church. Amen. And that promise helped me get through and navigate that, uh, you know, uh, that turmoil. Uh, we have tremendous promises that we can bank on, that we can trust. They are certain and they are sure. And the ark was being tossed to and fro all over the place during this five months on the earth, uh, uh, you know, as it floats above the earth. And uh, as it's being tossed, do you think there was some turbulent times for Noah and his family? Do you think there were times when the waves came crashing in and that ark went, woo, and you know, and everybody on board went, what the heck, right? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. 
And how reassuring to know during that turbulent time that God always keeps his promises. As the ark was being tossed to and fro, Noah may have wondered, hey, is this thing ever going to end? Are we going to make it? God, are you going to save us? Lord, you said it would rain 40 days. We're now five months into this journey. I'm pretty sure on the side of the ark, on day 28, there was like 28 marks, right, of, of rain on the, on the side, of little scratch marks by the bedpost. And then on day 39, it was like, oh man, almost there, baby, almost there. And then on day 40, and the rain stopped, and there was joy. But I sure Noah had no idea at five months he'd still be on the ark. And we have to hold on to God's promises. God always keeps his promises. Noah and his family of eight, they could have been either under major stress or they could have been at total rest. It all depends on what they are holding on to. Are we holding on to the promises of God? The next point I want to bring, bring us to is this point of having rest. We can have rest even in the midst of the storm by simply trusting in God's promises, God's faithfulness to his promises. Uh, I think of another uh, boat experience uh, with Jesus and the disciples. And they were ministering so hard, they were so busy, so, so serving so many people that they're traveling across the Sea of Galilee at night. And there in the midst of the night, Jesus has worked so hard all day ministering and loving the people that he's sleeping on the boat. And as he's sleeping on the boat, you know the story, what, what happens to these seasoned fishermen? A storm kicks up and the boat starts getting really turbulent. And these experienced fishermen get afraid. It must have been quite a storm. And Jesus, what is he doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. I find it very interesting, by the way. A man who prays all the time. Jesus was sleeping on the boat. The man who prays during the calm can sleep during the storm. The man who prays during the calm can rest during the storm. Jesus sleeping on the boat. The disciples, all in a panic, finally wake Jesus up and say, Do you not care that we are perishing? And Jesus said, Why are you troubled? And he looks out at the storm. And with a word, he says, Peace, be still. And the waves and the winds obey him. And the disciples all look at each other and are like, <laughs> right? Like, wow, who is this that even the wind and the sea obeys him? Uh, that's God. And Jesus then looks at the disciples and he says, why were you afraid? And I'm sure they all looked at each other and said, I don't know. <laughs> Seems silly now. Here you are. Here we are. Want a sandwich? Uh, right? We can have peace in the midst of the storm by holding on to the truth of God's promises. 
And I am sure that Noah's soul was at rest during this process, knowing that God always keeps his promises and we can have that same rest. Noah's name, by the way, means rest or comfort. And now the ark, God uses this particular word when he brings the ark to its landing. He uses the word rest. God is always trying to lead us in rest. I already quoted Jesus' words, come to me, all you who are weary, really troubled, really been out of shape, striving, and I will give you rest. This is what he wants us to do. And we have it by trusting in his word, in his promises. This is his ways. God remembered his promise to Noah, and the waters began to subside. And the ark rest on the mountains of Ararat on the seventh month, on the 17th day, after five long months, the ark rest. I want you to notice uh, something here. Uh, where was the steering wheel to the ark? Oh, there was none. Where were the oars? Oh, there was none. Where was the rudder? Oh, there was none. Where were the sails? Oh, there was none. You mean to tell me that the ark was completely controlled and steered by God? And that Noah had to be fully 100% dependent on God's leading. The ark was entirely led and guided by God. And can I tell you something? So are we. If we will actually let him. He says, listen, I am going away. I'm going to die on a cross for your sins. But I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you fatherless. I am sending my Holy Spirit to you. He is me. He is God. He is the Spirit. And, and, and he will lead, guide, and direct you into all truth. He will do what? Lead, guide, and direct you into all truth. He will take the things that I have spoken to you, and he will bring them to your remembrance. He will take all the things that I promised to you, all the commands that I told you about how to have a good, abundant, and fruitful life, and he will bring them to your remembrance. Let him lead you. Let him lead you. Let him guide you. And oh, we can have rest when we finally surrender our tight grip control of our life to God. No steering wheel on this ark. There was only one thing Noah had to hold on to. It was the promises of God. That I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah. And I'm going to bring judgment on the earth. But you and all who are on the ark with you, I will save. And it was that promise that he held on to. Oh, the peace that we can have when we let God steer our ship. Amen? And to do that, we have to let go of our control and hold on to his promises. Uh, there's a verse in Isaiah that I absolutely love. You might want to commit it to memory. It's Isaiah 26.3. 
It's on your screens. Uh, let me hear you read it with me. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Great verse. You will keep in moderate peace. You will keep remotely peaceful. No, no, no. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is fixed on you, is stayed on you. Uh, why? Because he trusts in you. He knows he's holding on to your promises. He knows that you keep your promises. He knows uh, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Read this with me. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. Uh, one of only three or four passages in the Bible that uses the, the name here, Yah, for Yahweh. Uh, it's trust in the Lord. Lord, there is Yahweh forever. For in Yah, Yahweh is everlasting strength. Not temporary strength, not momentary strength, not strength because oh, I'm feeling pretty good today. Not that kind of strength. No, no, no. Everlasting strength that does not change. This is the inheritance that we have as being a son and daughter of God when we put our trust in him. Uh, and uh, uh, just awesome for us to hold on to. We have rest when we are trusting in God's promises. May we be trusting as a church today in God's promises. Amen? Amen. Uh, shifting gears slightly, I am always in awe of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Sovereignty meaning total control. I'm in awe of God's sovereignty. I see it on display all the time. In my own life, I can look back in the rearview mirror and I can see God's sovereignty. In history, I can look forward and I can see God's sovereignty. Is it not amazing the things that the Bible prophesied about our day that are coming completely true? Russia coming down from the north and making war and, and that's happening. A one world currency coming, an ability to have every person on earth have every financial transaction recorded and no one can make or do a transaction without it being known. How The Bible wrote these things not like uh, 10 years ago or not even like 50 years ago when, when an iPhone was you know, close to being birthed, but 2,000 years ago before there were even calculators. I mean, at the time when people were using an abacus, right? Explicit detail about our day. Wickedness will increase so much that the love of many will grow cold. A prophecy. Radical sexual immorality. A prophecy. Children will be your leaders of nations. A prophecy. Uh, here we see all these things happen. What am I saying? God's sovereignty is always on display. And I am always in awe of it. And here in this passage with the ark, God's sovereignty once again on display. You see, God is doing something in his sovereignty. Do you know what he's doing? He's always pointing us towards Jesus. This plan of redemption, plan before the beginning of the earth, 
before the foundations of the earth. And in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is all about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. And uh, the New Testament's all about Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit. They're always pointing us to Jesus. And here, God is pointing us to Jesus in this story of the ark. The ark is a portrait of Jesus. I want to give you seven ways, I'm going to go through them real quick, where the ark is a foreshadow, is a picture, is a portrait of Jesus. Uh, The first one we looked at uh, when God called Noah into the ark, God didn't say, go get in the ark, he said, come into the ark. And I told you, like when I'm inside my house and someone knocks on the front door, I say, come in. But if uh, I'm not at home and they call me on the phone, they say, hey, I'm at your front door, I say, Oh, well, go ahead and go in, right? And God there, when he calls Noah into the ark, he says, come into the ark as if he's already inside. And in the ark of salvation is the presence of God. Salvation is not something we go get. Salvation is someone we come to. And when we come to Jesus, we actually come into the person of God. And so the ark is a picture of Jesus in that way. Secondly, the ark was an ark of wood that was covered in pitch. And in Hebrew, the word pitch is kofar. And that word kofar used 102 times in the Bible. It is only translated pitch once. Over 70-something times, it's translated atonement. The ark was an ark of wood covered with atonement on both sides. And the cross of Jesus Christ was an ark of wood covered with atonement, but not pitch, covered with the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, a far greater atonement. The ark was only a foreshadow of the atonement that is available to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we see in the ark that the plans of the ark were prepared long in advance before the ark was ever seen or known. Plans made way in advance. Took Noah 120 years to build it. The ark of our salvation in Jesus Christ was planned before the foundation of the earth. God is a good father and he has plans for us way, way into the future and the ark of Jesus Christ planned from the beginning of time. The ark, if you wanted to be saved, there was only one door to come into the ark. The ark of salvation through God's plan of redemption only has one door. And on John 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am that door And all who come in through me will have eternal life. One door to the ark, one door to the ark of our salvation, Jesus Christ. I find it awesome that Noah and his family were completely safe from God's wrath and judgment against sin, even though they themselves were sinners because they were in the ark. And in the ark of Jesus Christ, We are completely safe from God's wrath and judgment against sin. Romans 8 tells us there is therefore what? No condemnation to those who are in 
the ark of Christ Jesus, right? I mean, uh, how amazing. So these are some of the ways uh, that we see God in his sovereignty pointing us to Jesus. Uh, this next one and last one that I want to give you is even more uh, emphatic, if you will. The ark just so happened to come to a rest on the exact same day of Jesus's resurrection. Is that not incredible? Uh, the day that the ark rests just so happens to be the exact same day as Jesus' resurrection. Look at chapter 8, verse 4, the last verse we read. And the ark rested when? On the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month. And that just so happens to be the day that Jesus resurrected. You see, Passover uh, was on the 14th of the month. Jesus was crucified on the 14th of the month on Passover. He resurrected three days later, which would make it what? The 17th of the month. But Passover, we read, is on the first month. It's the 14th day of the first month was Passover. This says it's the seventh month on the 17th day. So the 17th day is right, but we're off. Are you tracking with me? Are you thinking this morning? Is this making sense? Well, here's what we learn. In Exodus chapter 12, when Moses was told to do the first Passover, it was the seventh month, the month of Aviv. And God changed the seventh month and he said, I'm going to change the calendar on the first Passover. And on the first Passover, the calendar changed. The seventh month became the first month. Wow. On the first Passover, God changed the calendar. And on the last Passover, God changed the calendar. What year is this? 2000 what? 2022 what? 2022 years from our Messiah. Uh, and so the, the calendar changed. The ark rested on the 17th day of the seventh month, which is the exact same day Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, just amazing to consider. Uh, now, as a sidebar, uh, the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. Uh, today, that mount, we looked at it last week, showed pictures of it. It's 17,000 feet today up in the... There are groups that have said they've seen the ark. Uh, it might be a bit fanciful. I don't know. It might be real. There's a bunch of groups, though, that actually claim to see the ark. Even Marco Polo wrote of the ark in his writings. I read it this week. It was his third book, I think, on those journeys. And uh, 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 all just, you know, interesting. I do think that there might be a time when God reveals the ark during his judgment on the earth, during the tribulation. And, and all that is fanciful, but uh, very interesting to consider this ark that was preserved and in the ice with pitch on both sides. Uh, God might have a, uh, a plan coming up for the ark, right? Who knows? Um, but here's where I want us to go. Here's a look as we move forward in the text. Noah's already been on the ark a long five months. How many of you know that's a long time to be with some stinky animals on an ark? And eight people, right? I mean, uh, get me off this thing, Jane, right? I mean, like, it's a long time. Uh, and yet here we're going to see something. You know what we're going to see as we move forward in the, in the text? Noah continues to do something. He continues to wait on the Lord. Say it with me. Wait, wait on the Lord. Watch how he waits here. This is impressive. Noah waits on the Lord. 
We're five months into this thing. Uh, look at verse five. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. We are now eight months into this journey, eight months after the flood began. And now the tops of the mountains can be seen. So the ark floating along, turbulent, hits, hits ground, kung, 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 kung. But they still couldn't see anything. The water was still higher up. The, 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 the ark was that deep in the water that it hits the mountaintops. And it takes another three months before they can start seeing the tops of the mountains. Verse 6. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days. So we were at 8 months in verse uh, 5. Now we're at 9 months and 10 days. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. And he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. Uh, a raven is a scavenger. A raven eats, eats carrion, right? I mean, it just eats dead things, right? And uh, we know from uh, ancient history, sailors, navigators, they would actually use ravens to navigate. They would let a, a, a raven out of the ship and watch the raven where it flew, and it would always fly towards land, and they would know to point the ship towards land. Uh, Noah here, he lets this raven out, and he watches to see where it flies. He's looking, hey, where's land, right? Uh, raven, an unclean bird, by the way. Um, verse 8, he also sent out for, for himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her little tiny foot. And she returned into the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and he took her and drew her into the ark to himself. <clears throat> and he waited yet another seven days. Uh, do you see the word waited being repeated? He waited, he waited, he waited on the Lord, right? He waited another seven days. And again, he sent out the dove from the ark. We are now nine months and 17 days into this time on the ark. And the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. Noah sees that olive branch, and what do you think he does sees? You know, this brand new virgin olive branch, just tender and, and fresh offshoot, and he goes, yes. Uh, there's, uh, there's growth, there's life happening, right? And, uh, and he's thrilled. He knew the waters had receded. So he waited, verse 12, another seven days. That brings us to nine months and 24 days in this ark. And he went out uh, and he sent out a dove again. And this time the dove did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass on the 601st year in the first month. Incredible detail. This is like a, this is like a captain's log, is it not? Uh, it probably was, by the way. Uh, um, in the 601st year of the first month, in the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and he looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. Uh, this is now 10 months and 14 days. 
And now Noah looks, and the surface of the ground is dry. Uh, that's a long time, man. Look, look at that. Uh, 10 months, 14 days. Uh, all kinds of stinky animals, all kinds of stinky people. You would be ready to get off that ark. And yet, notice what Noah does. Noah waits on the Lord. He waits for God to lead him. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He's looking and he's watching, but he's not making his own plan. He's waiting for God to lead him. And I find this so impressive. How many of you taking the lid off that ark, seeing dry land would have gone, I'm out of here. I've had enough. I am ready. And I would just take matters into our own hands and, and just taken off. Uh, that would have been so tempting, so tempting. But Noah instead waits on the Lord. And I find this so impressive. I have realized that when I sin, when we sin, we do so because we think our way is better than Yahweh. Yeah, God's way. Right. Uh, our way is better than God's way. Uh, uh, in other words, when we lie, we do so because we think our way is better than God's way. When we boast, we do so because we think our way is better than God's way. When we lust, we do so because we think our way is better than God's way. When we are not generous, we are because we think our way is better than God's way, right? Uh, we often think that our way is better than God's way. And Noah here is able to wait on the Lord because he believes God's way is better than his way. You and I are prone to say, I would be happy if I could just get off this ark, right? And so we have these proverbial things that we're waiting on, right? And we think that we could be happy if we could just have them, right? Like I'd be happy if I could just be on dry land. I'd be happy if I could just meet a guy. I'd be happy if I could just get married. I'd be happy if I could just have a kid. I'd be happy if my husband would just make enough money we could buy a house. I'd be happy if I could just get that career. I'd be happy if I could make... 40 grand, I'd be, well, no, I mean, I meant 60 grand. No, 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 I meant, I meant 80 grand, right? I said, I'd be happy if, and can I tell you something? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. No, we won't. Why? Well, the Bible tells us why. The Bible tells us our flesh is never satisfied. It always wants more. In Ecclesiastes, the Bible says, the eye is never tired of seeing. The ear is never tired of hearing. It always wants to be told. Someone tells you good job and you go, oh, thank you. And then you want to impress somebody else. So you can be told good job one more time. We get an Amazon package on the door and we go, yahoo. And then we go right back upstairs and order another one. <laughs> Why? Because we're not happy. We want more. Just the way it works. And what the truth of it is, we won't be happy by more. Our flesh always wants more. How does Noah wait so patiently for God? How is Noah at peace? How is Noah sitting there with all these stinky animals and the same stinky eight people and wanting, I mean, we're talking 10 months, I'm ready to get off this thing. 
How does he wait on the Lord? One word. His heart is filled with gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude to God. Gratitude to God sets our heart at rest. Noah is grateful to God for his salvation. Noah is grateful to God that his family is alive and saved and they weren't judged for their sins. Noah is grateful to God for his abundant provision and the plan that he had to get him through this flood of judgment. Noah is grateful that he's in a relationship with God. That all those times when he doubted and thought about quitting God, why he was building that ark and why it was getting mocked and why it was hard and while the, the board splintered and the chopped a tip of a finger off and all the different stuff that because uh, it's hard, right? He's so thankful that he didn't quit and that God kept him on the right track and that he was led by God the whole way. He was thankful. So thankful, so grateful that God used him, that God blessed him, and that God was there with him. And therefore, Noah was at rest, and his soul was satisfied in God, and he's able to wait. Yes, he wants to stand on dry ground. Yes, he wants to get off that ship, but he is thankful. He is grateful to God. And we can be at peace in whatever situation we're in, when we are cognizant of God's abundant blessings on our life. This is why God asks us to remember. Remember. May we be grateful and may we be thankful. I was uh, reminded of how ungrateful I can be on Friday. Um, my wife uh, made a meal for me and I sat down to eat and I prayed for the meal and after I prayed for the meal I uh, looked at the plate in front of me and it was leftovers and I said to myself not out loud uh, <laughs> I said to myself I don't want to eat this and then it hit me I just prayed Lord thank you for this meal and I realized I really had no gratitude. And I realized I was being polite to God, but I wasn't being grateful to God. And a meal isn't that big a deal, but I think it points something out, right? Uh, the power of, being grati uh, of having gratitude. Uh, without gratitude, we will complain about somebody making a meal for us. And that's insanity. And I want you to know something. We live in a very entitled world. And entitlement will only make you miserable. And we are so entitled that we are now inventing our own pronouns of what we want to be called because we're so entitled. And if you don't call me this, I'm going to be offended. <laughs> you might be on your mind a little bit too much. Right? And we might want to practice a little bit of what? Gratitude. 
thankfulness for all that God has given us. Noah could have easily said, you know, I deserve to get off this boat. And he would have been miserable. Instead, Noah is grateful. And as a result, his soul is at rest. He's in total peace. And this is what the scripture teaches us to do. Paul would tell uh, the Ephesians, excuse me, the Philippians, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be made known to all men, for the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you now. And be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, be thankful and you will have this peace in your heart. Uh, this is God's will for us. Um, gratitude sets our heart at rest. And I find it so shocking. Let's finish up our, our passage as we prepare to take communion. And look at uh, Noah's going to spend two more months on this boat. It's already at 10 months. He's going to spend two more months on it, and he still waits for God's word. Uh, let's look at verse 14. Let's see if we can finish the chapter. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. We are now one year and 11 days into this journey. One year and 11 days, which is an interesting number. Because a year for Noah was a lunar year. A lunar year has 354 days in it. This is one year and 11 days, which means how many days? 365. God uses a solar year here. Very interesting. I don't know what all that means, but it means something. Uh, verse 15. <laughs> After a year and 11 days, God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Noah led his whole family well. I'm sure they were complaining. I'm sure they're saying, look, I can see dry land. Let me out. No, no, no. He leads his family well. Noah waits for God's command. God speaks and Noah obeys. That's what we read over and over and over. God speaks and Noah obeys, right? Verse 17, bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you. The birds, the cattle, every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. Everything that's been creeping you out for a year. <laughs> so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Can I tell you something? Circle those words. Abound on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. This is God's plan for you. I have brought you in my ark of Jesus Christ. And I am sending out you out in the world that you might abound and that you might be fruitful and that you might multiply. This is his plan for you. Verse 18. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out from the ark. And look at this. I love this. And Noah, say, read this with me. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. I love that. This is the first thing Noah does when he gets off of the ark. He builds an altar to the Lord. He establishes a place to worship God. Very first thing he does. Look what he says. And he took of every clean animal 
and of every clean bird, and he offered burnt offerings, plural, on the altar. Noah took two of every animal on the boat, except clean animals. He took seven pairs of the clean animals. And now he gets off the, the, the boat, and the first thing he does is he takes a, a pair of every unclean animal and offers them as burnt offerings on the, on the altar to the Lord. And you say, no, I don't know if that's very smart, man. I mean, the whole world is an endangered species at this time. You need all the numbers you can get. And God said, Noah says, my worship to God is more important than anything else. So awesome. I want you to know something. Over and over in scripture, we read here about Noah. God says it and Noah does it. God said it and Noah does it. I want, here, here I want to make a, a distinction though. God never told Noah to build an altar. He did this on his own what? Free will. And I want you to know this church. Worship is always the expression of genuine gratitude to God. Worship is the expression of our genuine gratitude to God. Noah gets off the ark and he worships. And he worships with a burnt offering. A burnt offering was a sin offering. It was an offering of total consecration. Or in other words, being wholly or completely dedicated to the Lord. It's like telling the Lord, here's my whole entire life. It's yours. Noah dedicates himself and his family to the Lord. First thing he does. I want you to see this. Noah doesn't get off the ark and look at his family and say, hey, did you like my plan? 120 years I've been planning this. And God used me because I'm so righteous, because I'm so spiritual, because I'm so amazing. And look what I did. Look how amazing I am. Look how I saved the day. Noah doesn't do any of that. What does Noah do? He gets off the ark and he says, I am a sinner. God, forgive me of my sin. I devote myself entirely to you. And the last point that I want to bring us to, the last thing that I want you to hold on to is where the ultimate place rest comes from. Rest does not come from a good performance. Rest does not come from really finally achieving and arriving. No, rest comes from knowing that you are a sinner saved by God's abundant grace. There and there alone, the soul finds its rest in God's amazing love for a sinner like me, and I am secure because of all you have done for me, and there the soul finds its rest. May we hold on to this amazing truth that that is there for us. Uh, look how he, this chapter finishes. I love this, verse 21. And the Lord, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, smelled the smooth, soothing aroma. Uh, the Bible uses anthropomorphic terms, human terms here to describe God's emotion. Notice what it says. And God, the Lord said in his heart. Wow. 
Noah gets off the ark. He doesn't boast. He doesn't brag. He doesn't tell everybody how amazing his plan was. He gets off the ark. He offers a burnt, burnt offerings to the Lord. Total devotion says, I'm a sinner. Lord, thank you for saving me. And God smells that and says, oh, that touches my heart. Are you not blown away that your faith can touch the creator's heart? Are you not in awe that God so delights in you that when you humble yourself before him and say, Lord, thank you for saving me of my sin. Lord, I want to devote my life to you. God says, wow, that's really something. I am so thankful. David would write in Psalm 8, when I consider the moon and the stars which you have ordained, the heavens, the universe. Lord, what is man that you're mindful of him? Who am I, Lord, that you would consider me? We'll partake communion right now. I want Kyle and the team to come up. Well, if the guys will get ready to pass out the elements, let's finish this off. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Uh, we're sinners. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, God says, seed time and harvest will remain. And here today, seed time and harvest still remains. They've still grown flowers on the flower fields. The avocados are still growing in my backyard. Seed time and harvest still remains. Cold and heat still remains. Winter and summer still remains. Day and night still remains. I wake up every day and God is faithful. The, the sun still rises. These things shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, read it with me. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is his will for us. This is his plan. This is his ways. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.